This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Uh, good afternoon. Yes, it is five minutes past one. Thank you, Jake Smithers, for the news. We are today going coastal. Uh, you're going to meet uh, one of the owners of Hewan Aquaculture in Tasmania. You're also going to meet Wendy Hargrave. She's in Port Douglas at the Taste Port Douglas Festival. And Peter Caravita has a new TV show coming on to your box on SBS, which is all about coastal living. All that coming up after this little break. Good afternoon, six minutes past one. You're on Joy 94.9. My name is Pete Dillon. Thank you to Jake Smithhurst for the news, to Dean Beck for Word for Word, and prior to that, Saturday Magazine. This is your show about food and wine, and so you and I are going to have a discussion today with uh, Frances Bender. She is from Hewan Aquaculture in Tasmania. A remarkable story, and I'm going to share that with you very shortly. Peter Kravita, who is known to many of you as uh, one of those celebrity type chefs he has a new tv program coming on to cha- oh, sorry onto the sbs which is called uh, is all about being on the coast and eating on the coast and living on the coast so we'll catch up with him and speaking of the coast wendy hargraves is in far north queensland in port douglas at taste port douglas which is a food and wine festival happening up there so we're going to check in with her and have a bit of a look at um what it all feels like and sounds like right up there in Port Douglas. So we shall get on with it. Uh, Let's start with the ever-delightful Francis Bender. Of course, we'll have a bit of music today to take you coastal as well. Uh, I caught up a couple of days ago with Francis, who talked to us about, uh, about salmon farming, really. One of the things Tasmania is most noted for is, of course, beautiful, beautiful salmon. Francis Bender is from Hewan Aquaculture and is here to sort of share the, the story with us, if you will, about how Hewan came about and, and its relationship with um, with other growers, certainly in Tasmania, and then how it's placed itself probably on a global stage. Francis, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Peter. Uh, Tell me how you and all came about, because I understand this this story of of sort of a, a collective of growers, if you will, um, of, of salmon farmers, evolved in, into what it, what is now. Take us through the journey. The journey for us began actually thirty years ago this year. It's our thirtieth anniversary. Congratulations! Two thousand and sixteen. Yes, um, and um, <clears throat> we're actually one of three salmon farming companies in Tasmania now. But when we began thirty years ago, there were fourteen. 
and we started off in an industry that simply didn't exist before. So it's been an amazingly fantastic ride. Um, very dynamic, very exciting, massive highs and massive lows to actually now be the largest agribusiness um, agri-industry in Tasmania um, and the largest fishery by value in the country. Wow, that's a, that's from a, a sta- From a standing number. start of not <laughs> existing 30 years ago, yeah, it's worth about $650 million a year now as an industry um, and it's an amazing success story for Tasmania. Well, it, it's an amazing, amazing success story for you. Take take me back to those days thirty years ago when it all started. How did you decide that that farming salmon was going to be a a, a way forward, or was it just a, a whim to to you know help grow your your then? Were you in cattle farming? Yes, um, Peter and I were managing his family's um, cattle and sheep farm, so we had about a three thousand acre property. And we were growing a beautiful herd of Murray Greys and um, fat lamb sheep. And we owned uh, the little local butcher shop. So that was our first foray into the retail world of selling our produce. And um, we saw the the farm actually has a lot of waterfront. And it's a beautiful area just in, down south in the, the mouth of the Ewan River. And the industry was just starting um, around in Dover, and we thought that there might be opportunities for us to perhaps diversify into fish farming as a way of um, Peter and I becoming perhaps more independent. Now, first thoughts were that, you know, if we could make a success of this, perhaps we might earn some money to be able to buy <laughs> a family farming property. Little did we know the monster we would create. <laughs> Um, why fish? I mean, if, you, if you've got that lovely big parcel of land and you've got sheep and cattle, was there not a thought of diversifying into to another form of agribusiness rather than aquabusiness like, a, I don't know, growing horseradish or potatoes? Um, well, this is, agri- this is agribusiness it's, and it is farming um, and that's what um, people possibly still get confused by. They, they probably think that because there's water involved, it must be like fishing. But one of the main reasons that um, Ewan Aquaculture has been successful and our company has been successful and is the only founding company to survive since the beginning of the industry till now is the fact that we have never forgotten we were farmers. So it's always been about farming and the way we look after our stock and that, that attention to detail and those principles of farming um, has, is what stood us in good stead. Well, sort of and then, um, from then till now. Preempting a question there, I suppose, but um, how how similar then is is farming salmon to farming any other sort of stock? Um, it's very similar. It's just wetter. <laughs> <laughs> so you really you really need to look after your stock, um, which of course any farmer does. You need to feed them well. You need to keep them stress free, and you need to look after their environment. And those four pillars are what we actually now call the Hewan method, and if you manage those four pillars well, and they're all totally and utterly interlinked, then you will actually be successful at farming. So whilst that sounds simple and sounds very basic, that is the basic platform, but obviously then we have, um, I think we can claim um, quite honestly that we've been the, probably the most innovative farmers. In fact, we would be recognised as some of the most innovative salmon farmers in the world um, because I think we had 
the advantage and or disadvantage of being so remote to the rest of the salmon farming community that's based in the northern hemisphere mm. we've always had to look outside the square and and to think about different ways of of managing a problem we haven't had um off the shelf off off the shelf equipment we haven't had in the early days particularly right up until recently we didn't have access to easy access to funds we grew the business by the reinvestment of dividends and and debt so we had very strong relationships with our banks so money was hard to come by so we had to sort of look at every sort of every part of the business and how we could get the best return so it made us be very very innovative and we've always looked outside um, our region and our area to looking at best practice and then adapting that for the Tasmanian environment, which is actually very different. Farming here is very different to farming salmon um, in the rest of the world. So, so do you still look to the rest of the world, though, for those that the those little bits of inspiration for your innovation? Do you sort of oh, see something that's happening in the Northern Hemisphere and get an idea on how that can be adapted to suit your property? Absolutely. We actually currently uh, we have um, a research and development um, arm of the business and we are working with overseas entities, um, research entities, universities, centres of excellence and also including our own um, centres down here, um, IMAS, the Institute of Marine and Antarctic Science, um, CSIRO, um, constantly in programs with the, and other universities all, acro- all across the globe in, in the applied science of, of um, fish farming. So we have very close and robust links with researchers across across the globe. Frances Bender is my guest. She is uh, one of the owners of Huon Aquaculture in Tasmania. Uh, a fascinating discussion we're having already. I've got more of that coming up. Stay with me. You're on Cravings here on Joy 94.9 with me, Pete Dillon. I've missed my favourite show on Joy. What do I do? What do I do? Podcasters to battle! Joy Podcasters fight on tirelessly to bring you the best bits of every show. So if you've missed something recently on Joy, don't worry, our podcasters have your back. Head to joy.org.au and click on the podcast tab or look us up on iTunes. Podcasters on Joy 94.9, fighting tirelessly for your listening pleasure. We're talking about things that have a, a connection to the coast today, and one of those is a discussion with Frances Bender. We're partway through that. She is one of the owners of Hewan Aquaculture and sharing some incredible stories around how Hewan Aquaculture came from a, a sheep and cattle farm to be one of the the most innovative uh, salmon farms in the world. Here's a bit more of that discussion with Frances. Do you still farm cattle and sheep? The family still does, yes. Um, but we don't. Um, we were for when we first started the fish farming business. We were doing both. We were managing the farm and the fish farm, and physically working in both. And then in 1994, Peter and I approached the family and said um, they were looking at, at, at diversifying into another part of another business as well at the time. And we said, well, can if we can raise the funds, will you sell us the business at that time, independently valued? Um, they agreed. Um, we found a bank silly enough to take us on. And <laughs> I, I think smart enough, 30 years down the track. Was, it's, yeah. yeah, smart enough, 22 years later. Yeah, and that was the that was the beginning of um, the ride on the roller coaster that um, to, to, to some um, aspects I think we still live on. Francis, would you look back and say it's been a, um, uh, a wonderful experience or would you look back and say, God, we've learned so much and, you know, we've got grey hair and we've... Uh, 
we've sometimes wanted to pull it out or set it on fire or just walk away. I mean, what, looking back, giving it some historical perspective, would you suggest that it's um, it's been worthwhile? Everything you've mentioned, we've we've thought, <laughs> including <laughs> setting your hair on fire. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes on a daily basis, um, it's been the most amazing journey and people quite often say to us you know did you imagine that you you know that your business had become this and I look at them and think well no um no we didn't um was this planned um yes and no there's been enormous highs and we still have fantastic highs we have the most amazing team of people that we work with um that share our passion and that's an interesting thing that's that's a really um important piece of feedback that we constantly get from a range of visitors is people comment to us about the staff that they've touched in their visit about how passionate they are and um, it's more than just a job for for the team at Ewan it's about loving what we do and just continuously improving so I think the other thing that still completely astounds me even after 30 years is is the the learning curve. The learning curve is actually still completely vertical. Mm. So as soon as we get the answer to one issue, on the, on the way to actually getting that answer, we've discovered another 50 questions we haven't thought about yet or, <laughs> or things we want to actually improve or need to improve or opportunities that we can take. So it is just the most amazingly business. It's awe-inspiring in its level of, of dynamism compared to nearly every other agribusiness that we, you know, that we understand and, and um, have relationships to. Francis Pende is my guest. Francis, I, I wonder if you could sort of talk us through some of the the challenges of, of farming fish. Um, obviously, there's there's going to be some point where, where you're milking the fish for uh, for row, Um I, obviously, there are there are also predators that that would like to be interested in eating your fish. What what are some of the big issues you face uh, growing salmon? Well, the big issues are, are the security of your stock. So we we spend and we've invested a lot of money and time and research and effort into growing the very best um, smalt that we can. So so we actually control the process now. When we started, we were actually just growing fish and selling our, our fish to... We were buying in smalt and we were selling our fish to other other producers and, and they were selling them in their brand. And then we realised that that really wasn't working for us and so we cre- we actually stepped out from behind the farm gate and we took charge of our own destiny in, in relation to our brand. Then we also realised that we weren't getting the quality smalt that we needed so we needed to actually take charge of the process from egg through... So we actually now have a fully vertically integrated company where we manage the process from egg all the way through to consumer. So we have branded product on supermarket shelves and we sell product, branded product um, into um, Asian export markets. So, so there's a level of expertise across every section of the business that's, um, that's really world class. And so we've learned, um, I often comment, and, and this is absolutely true, that the two least qualified people in the business with no formal qualifications <laughs> is Peter, who's the CEO, yes. managing director, and myself, who's an executive director, the founders of the business. Our staff are so highly qualified and so um, 
so great at what they do um, that that in the days when we, we you know we might be struggling with a problem that they don't know about, you come to work and you know their passion lifts you up and gives you the gives you the um, impetus to keep going on, keep forging ahead, and, and sort of sorting out the problem that you might be dealing with. But it is um, it is a real it's a business that if you have attention to detail in every single area, it's um, then you will succeed. You were saying about the problems that we have. We do have a major issue in Tasmania with um, an ever-growing number of very, very clever seals, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and they love salmon, and they they they, uh, they work together in a team, and they problem solve. And I'm sure that they text because as soon as someone has worked out, one of them has worked out a way to get in or to get a fish, they all know. So they communicate amazingly quickly. So in the last two years, our company has invested over $100 million in rebuilding and redesigning, rebuilding a new patented pen that actually keeps those sam- those, the salmon in and, and the, the seals out. out. The seals mm. out. And that was developed in-house by Peter and the team, and it's a huge benefit for the business moving forward now because it also means that we've created also a safe working platform for our staff to work on. Well, of course. Um, and, and that's you know, the commitment to IHS, but also commitment to, to keeping your proc- uh, crop as productive as possible. So I want to go back to these seals because they are very, very clever. Um, I understand that, you know, they they worked out that if one of them sort of smacked its nose against the, the fence until it bled and then they would sort of take turns in doing that until they made a hole. Is that... Is some of those uh, you talked about them working together? They they do really seem to be quite clever. Oh yes, no, they're very clever. They'll um, they'll jump exceptionally high. It's amazing actually how high um, a three to four hundred kilo seal because this is the size we're talking about. These are seals that are monster seals, yep. and they can dry, they can jump meters high. So we have a three meter high jump fence. Um, on the new fortress pens, which is the name that we've called our new pen, a three-metre-high um, external predator fence. We've now, just of recent time, actually witnessed massive seals using their flippers to climb, using really? the mesh to try and climb out of the water. Um, they charge the net, and if there's any holes, they'll they'll force their way through. They don't seem to be concerned about getting caught, which sometimes is is really a bad thing because sometimes they will get caught um, getting out and then sometimes occasionally we will have had a seal that's drowned itself and and because it's under the water we don't know that. Um, But we don't have many incursions now with with these new pens because in Tasmania seals are um, still listed as endangered and they're protected. So we're in their environment um, and we actually have to keep them out and our fish in um, we have no other way of dealing with them they don't actually have a natural predator so their numbers are growing so that's why we took the decision um, to actually um, move to this new style of pen once we had the technology and the other reason we did that is also because these these pens are extraordinarily robust but flexible and because we have moved offshore now with our farming, our kilometres offshore in very, very exposed open waters, some of the most exposed salmon farming waters in the world, um, we needed a pen that would actually be able to stand up to the storms of, of the Southern Ocean.
Frances Pender was my guest. Um, she is from Human Aquaculture in Tasmania. And a fascinating discussion about um, how you can convert from uh, farming sheep and cattle to farming salmon. Uh, it's uh, it's a fascinating discussion and one that I hope we get to have again with, uh, with Frances. Very shortly, you're going to meet Wendy Hargrave. She's up in Port Douglas. Uh, sunning herself about but before we do that i thought it only appropriate that we have a little bit of the chemical brothers in a moment with uh their song called the salmon dance because well why not first of all some issues you're on cravings here on joy 94.9 show number 398 in two weeks we'll be celebrating 400 shows 400 episodes of cravings 400 saturdays that you've sat and diligently listened and played with me on the wireless it's almost 29 minutes past one you're on joy 94.9 you're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Um, we're going coastal today, and coastal means beachside. One of our good friends, Wendy Hargraves, yours and mine, is uh, on our 398th program. She's lousing about on a, I don't know, a hammock somewhere in Port Douglas, no doubt, with a, a big pineapple in a hand full of rum and all sorts of goodness. Uh, it is the Taste Port Douglas Festival. Wendy is our correspondent today. Wendy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you going down good. there in the freezing cold? Oh, it's not too bad today. It's, it's, it's bearable, Wendy, we'll say that. Oh, well, that's good. Oh, well, that's gang it. Are you wandering I'm around sorry, in I'm it? Hoping... <laughs> sorry, go on. <laughs> I was like, here I am hoping that you're all freezing down there because it's a beautiful sunny day up here in Port Douglas. We've been blessed with the weather. Yes. And a whole heap of Australia's best chefs are in town plying their wares. So it's been a, a really fun start last night and it continues today and tomorrow. Plying their wares or getting uh, or wandering around in flip-flops with tinnies of cold beer? Well, there's a little bit of that going on. We had a great night last night. I was lucky enough to MC a dinner, which was um, the Melbourne dinner at Tasteport Douglas. Ian Curley and Raymond Capaldi, who are, who you would well know as among the best chefs in Melbourne, yes, and they, they were are. let loose in they were let loose in Harrison's restaurant, which is Spencer Patrick's restaurant up here. And Spencer and is the, the, the man behind the uh, behind the, the Tasteport Douglas Festival, isn't he? That's right, yes. and or it's actually his wife Raina that does all the work. But anyway, <laughs> Spencer's a very good cook, though. He's um he, he's been uh, he was the youngest ever British chef to get um, a Michelin star at the age of twenty six before he came out here and worked at Phoenix with um, Gary Megan and, and, and Raymond Capaldi. Mm. Yeah, but they, they all got back together. It was a bit. A bit like the Three Stooges in the kitchen, seeing them all together <laughs> last night. But um, they had a great, they had a great time, and the food was spectacular. Raymond, in very um, Raymond style, did the um, what he called the beet cheek, which yes. is a play on the beef cheek. Yeah, with his made it with uh, beetroot, and it, it was um, absolutely spectacular. He did it. It sounds it sounds kind of odd, but that's exactly the way that he liked it. Kind of it delicious. was delicious. It was great, and um, in curly. Very much the man in charge of the European in Spring Street did the duck. He had to do duck, really. Well, that, he's famous for that duck. <laughs> he is famous for his duck. So he did an asiette of duck. So it was a plate full of every bit of the duck you can imagine, cooked in every way you can imagine. So mm. we definitely got a good feed there last night. Today down at the festival grounds, it's um, it's pretty much uh, it's a small version, a tiny waterside version of, of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. It's got, you know, some fantastic produce, really good chefs doing demonstrations, 
um, you know, it's, it's actually not too late to hop in a plane, head up to Cairns and take a little drive up to Port Douglas, I think. You should, you should all consider it. Well, it's, it's a very beautiful part of the world. I worked up there many, many moons ago. We've got a mutual friend uh, by the name of Hilary McNevin, who listeners, uh, who will, you guys will know, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And Hilary and I first met in Port Douglas. Uh, I, I dare say she'll kill me for saying so, but about 25 years ago or thereabouts, um, Hill and I worked together up there in the, at the Sheraton Mirage. So it's a, it's a bit of an old stomping ground for me. At the Sheraton Mirage? Yeah, yeah, we were kids. That's we were 11. What I'm saying. Oh, how <laughs> very fa- We were. We were 11. Hey, um, uh, why why are you at this food festival? What's the purpose for Wendy Hargraves being at uh, a food festival in the other end of the country? I've, um, well, I'm, well, I'm working. I don't know, people laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> she's working, ladies I know. and gentlemen. She's I know, working. I'm working. <laughs> so I, I emceed last night. This morning I was on a um, discussion panel on food media with, um, with Vali Little and, um, and, you know, a couple of other, you know, uh, media types yes. in town. And, um, and there's also an amazing food demonstration stage. And t- tomorrow I'm going to be, Hosting Alistair McLeod and Matt Galinsky in, oh, in their, um, yeah, which and they're, they're just like Bud Abbott and, and Costello. I was going to say you won't are. you won't get a word in Wendy Hargraves. I think I think I'm going to be there just to sort of keep it clean. And um, as we speak, um, Adam De Silva's on stage with Nick Holloway from um, from Nunu, which is yes, an amazing in, restaurant uh, Palm Cove. in Palm Cove. Mm. And Adam's causing all sorts of mischief. Um, that would Raymond be unlike Kittel's him. Back on, oh no, exactly. Raymond Cataldi's back on stage today as well. He's cooking, which will be hilarious in this tropical climate. He's cooking his chocolate souffle with blue cheese. (laughs) That's going to go well. I'm not sure if you remember um, uh, Wendy, when Johnny Uzzini was here from from New York a couple of years ago for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. He was in it, uh, Deacon Edge, or BMW Edge, I think it's now called, and um, was doing a demonstration with some chocolate. It was so humid in that room, um, in that space, that it just wouldn't work. Things kept kept collapsing, and this is one of the, the finest pastry cooks in the world and he's um oh, nothing would have worked for play flops. Mm. <laughs> well i think i think raymond will be um he'll be okay today there's a beautiful cool sea breeze and it's not oh. there's no humidity up here at the moment it's um it's it's actually the most perfect summer. time to, mm. to visit port douglas in winter it's beautiful yeah the one that i will have to get back to have a look at this afternoon though is colin fashnich she is a very entertaining new south welshman he's oh, um, an Irishman, with anthony he? Oh, no, no, New South Wales, okay, I mean, New yeah. South Welshman. <laughs> We've claimed him now. Um, the, um, he's up here with, um, on stage with Anthony Huckstep, who's a Sydney um, journalist. Food writer, and he yes. thought he was, Yeah, and he thought he was going to be um, breaking down a suckling pig, and they're actually producing a hog. <laughs> so that'll be a fun one to watch. It will, well, if, you're not, if you're not squeamish. And then the delightful Arla Wolf Tusker is on stage. I'm not sure what she's going to cook, but, oh, but um, she'll be, I'm be sure magnificent, she'll whatever everyone. it is. Hey, um, Wendy, right, stick, sorry, stick with me. I just got to play a couple of messages. I want to come back and talk a little bit more about Port Douglas itself. Have you got a few minutes to, to wait? Oh, sure. I'll just order another pina colada, darling. Yeah, you do that. One moment. Wendy Hargraves is my guest. She is up in Port Douglas at Taste Port Douglas, giving a bit of a sight and sound of what the Taste Festival up there looks like. We'll have a couple of brief messages and come back and talk a bit more. New to Joy podcasts this week, Sonia the Squeamer and Clayton embark on a Melbourne International Film Festival adventure on Sci-Fi and Squeam. Steph, Clayton and Beck take a look at the Olympics with two fantastic guests, including former Paralympian, actually not former, including Paralympian Kobe Scott on Stand Up Straight. 
Enjoy a smorgasbord of sweet musical treats on the latest Babble and Pop podcast. And David and Sue of Friday Drive present a lineup of diverse guests, including Wendell's, Wendy Stapleton on Driving You Mad, Driving You Crazy. And outtakes are absolutely fabulous and looking for closure as they celebrate two of this year's most anticipated queer films. Don't forget you can also download this podcast uh, at joy.org.au slash cravings. Joy podcasts where you want them, when you want them at joy.org.au and via iTunes. Share them today. Hi, I'm Anna De Silva and you're listening to Cravings with Pete Dillon on Australia's only gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. Oh, through the magic of the wireless, Adam De Silva is here and is in Port Douglas at the uh, Taste Port Douglas Festival. Also there at the Taste Port Douglas Festival with a pina colada in her hand, she tells me, Wendy Hargraves. Did yes, you get time to I get another drink? Oh, not quite. So you could have stretched out that life read a little bit more. I think, oh, <laughs> Couldn't you have summoned the lad from the village to fetch you, fetch you one while you're, while you're lounging about on a hammock? Oh, that, was, that doesn't that sound nice. I have to tell you, you said you used to work at the Sheraton. The last yes. time I was here was about 10 years ago, and it had that fabulous tropical carpet that looked a bit like a Ken Dunn painting. Oh, yes, that, that's been there a long up. time. <laughs> but it's all gone now. It's oh. all gone. It's, they've, spent, they've spent $60 million renovating the entire property. Well, it's, it it's needed all, it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, in, um, it's in sparkling form now. It's very, um, very white. Is all of <laughs> that beautiful, uh, beautiful green Italian marble still in the, uh, in the foyer? No. They might have sold that to the highest bidder. Well, that was now. He's. I'll tell you a funny story about that green marble. So, uh, Pixie Scase and, of course, Christopher, um, they owned Mirage, Port Douglas, Gold Coast, and one in Hawaii. Um, and they built those three. And when they were building Port Douglas, then in in the, as we used to call it, the Alison Moyer foyer, uh, in the in the foyer there, there was um, all of this green marble. So they shipped it all over from Italy, and the tradesman laid the the marble. Pixie came in and said, "I don't like it. The, the things have got to go the other way." So they had to jackhammer the marble up, order oh. from Italy, and relay it. They did that three times, and the third time they didn't they didn't grout it, or they didn't they didn't use the adhesive. And she walked in, she said, "It's perfect." So they had to do it piece by piece. I'm not sure if that's an urban myth, but um, it, that that was how far they they went with the uh, construction of that property. Way back, I think it oh. opened in 1988 or 86. 88 um, and I, w- I joined in 1990 so it was very pretty the when excess, I joined the, the excess of the, the sheer size of, of the buildings is, is extraordinary there's That's nothing outrageous. like it in Australia mm. it's, um, it's, actually, I wish though that they'd kept a, a Christopher and Pixie wing where you could actually pay to go and stay in the original in the original Sheraton rooms I think that would just go off like a frog in a sock you reckon? yeah you because know, they're all a little bit um they're a bit. They're pretty in their beige, and they're you know everything's perfect for the hotel, hotel rooms. Room. But you know, if you could go back and go retro with it with my pina colada in hand, I think I'd be doing that. <laughs> yes, indeed. And then uh, delivering room service overnight to people who thought it more than appropriate to answer their their door naked. Oh, oh the stories you're a we bit could tell. By the- the stories. No, no, I loved it. It was great. The stories we could tell. <laughs> Let's go back to Tasteport Douglas. So you, you mentioned that uh, Spencer's restaurant, Spence Patrick. We normally talk to him each year on this festival, but I thought it might be nice to talk to you because we can get an overall feel. If, if we put this in the, um, 
in, in the sandbox of, of food and wine festivals. Obviously, Melbourne, uh, Gourmet Escape in Margaret River, which usually happens in November. Uh, Noosa, mm-hmm. which happens uh, around May, I think, next year. And then this in August. Is that probably the big four or is there a few? Oh, there's Taste in Tassie as well. Yeah, it's a little bit different in Tassie. It's a bit sort of, it's not quite as site specific. It sort of goes spreads out a little bit more. But I have to say, as, as all of the festivals, um, this one has a really nice grassroots feel about it. It was probably what the Noosa Festival was like back when Jim Barato first set it up many moons mm. ago. Um, it, it's been, this, this one in Port Douglas, because it's run by a couple who are really passionate about local food, it's, um, it's very much about celebrating the farmers up on the Atherton's tableland uh, yeah. that bring their, their coconuts and their bananas and their amazing wares down to market every week. And it's about the chefs who are who stopped bringing in frozen fish and started using a local reef fish, which is delicious. Um, and you know, it's it's changed. The culture up here is changing. It's 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 not about just coming into town and in order to visit the Daintree Rainforest and the reef. People are actually coming here for the food experience as well now, which is a, a testament to to um, Spencer actually. Yeah, but, and and, um, and changing it. And to others, you know, back in, again, back in the day, and I sort of, I talk about this quite historically, it was a little fishing village that, uh, where this great big ass hotel was built, and there was probably two or three, there was a Radisson across the road, um, and there wasn't a great deal else. Um, and then, you know, we sort of watched over two years the development, but post that, um, seeing, I was up back up in Port Douglas a couple of years ago, and seeing the change up there now, it, it's quite extraordinary. You talked about produce. There's a big Italian population in and around the the Atherton Tableland who are uh, responsible for for the growth of the the farming in that region. Um, what, yeah. what what's some of the produce that's being highlighted? What what are some of those reef fish and um, and some of the the sort of land and foragey sort of stuff that's being highlighted throughout the weekend? You know what? I'm just going to go straight to the distillery. <laughs> 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 I um I was just so impressed um, recently on a trip up into the Aspen Tablelands. It's a place called Mount Uncle, mm-hmm. and they use all local um, botanicals, which is um, a mystery because they like to keep their, their ingredients mysterious. But there's a lot of local flavour in there, and it's one of the best gins I've ever tasted. It's going to give the Melbourne gin to run for their money once they. Um, Decide cool. to get the distribution working, but at the moment they're um, really happy just servicing the local businesses and making sure people down here in, in uh, Port Douglas and Cairns are getting enough gin. But it's um, it's something really unique, and you can order it online. It's, it's called Mount Uncle. I, I expect it's you'll real, be bringing oh, you'll be bringing me back a bottle because after the amount of gin I may have consumed yesterday at the Project Botanicals launch for Bombay Sapphire, I don't know that <gasps> I can. Um, I don't know that I can oh. even think about gin today, Wendy. You know what? I was supposed to go to that, Peter. I would have loved to have gone to that. I tell you what, it was Sounds a, like a ten-course feast, each matched with a cocktail that, um, or, or the food was matched to highlight one of the um, botanicals because there's ten botanicals, usually ten or more, used to make gin. So things like coriander and um, all sorts of peppers and different pe- different things that are used to make gin. So um, we we did Fantastic. all sorts of things. Oh, the food was outstanding. Tony Twitter at Taxi is an incredibly incredibly talented chef, and we were able to sit. We sat about halfway through after we'd had five cocktails and, and made some fragrance. This It went for five hours. It was absurdly long. And, and oh, it's always dangerous having lunch with you, Mr. 
going. Oh, it well, really is. It was really good fun. So I'm quite pleased we were, uh, we did it. And Project Botanicals will speak to them next week here on the program and talk about gin and uh, how it all um, how it all comes about and what the Project Botanicals program is. So stand by for that. So I'm expecting uh, in your in your um, hand luggage there'll be a little bottle of gin you're bringing back for P Diddy. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll absolutely bring one back for you. Oh, you're a Because um, it's, it, it's show number 398 here, Wendy on Cravings. Uh, in two weeks, we're celebrating 400 shows. I know. I normally do it up in the Noosa Food and Wine Festival, but uh, we couldn't celebrate our birthday up there this year, so we'll, um, we'll celebrate it back here in this studio. I might have a bit of a cake. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, because it's uh, eight 400 years. 400 episodes. Mm, That's eight amazing. years. Yes, it's been a... Um, and the program has not rested either, so I'm. It's, it's like it's like me. It's starting to look a little tired and old. <laughs> oh, never, never. And I wouldn't be admitting to that because you're on radio, darling. And unless there's a video camera in there, you can be whatever you want to be. Exactly. People think <laughs> that I come in here dressed in a suit and looking very sharp. I don't. Hey, um, back to Port, back to Port Douglas. You were talking about reef fish. Have you had a chance to get out on the reef and have a bit of a look? It's a stunning place. I haven't yet, but I'm hoping tomorrow to join um, one of the local Aboriginal elders on a mangrove hunt. Oh, nice. Which will be fascinating. This is something that um, Spencer Patrick did with um, Darren Robertson from um, Three Blue Ducks. Yes. And um, I like to call him the the, the fluffy duck boys. And uh, they went out and there was a video um, where they'd hunted for uh, crabs in the mangroves and amazing shellfish that no one had ever seen. It was... um, it was a little bit like a, you know, certain overseas chef that might have landed in Sydney recently. <laughs> you can say <laughs> his name, nice. dear. Are you talking about Renee? Yes, I'm talking about Renee. Renee Red Zeppi, for those like of you that. playing at home, playing the playing the cravings drinking game. We see how many uh, <laughs> how many names we can drop each week. There's another one, Renee Red Zeppi. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> Ketunk. There yes. we go. Um, so he, he said, um, I, I met this fellow of all places in an Irish bar in the main street. <laughs> Caught Douglas last night, where he plays in a band. This uh, this, this Aboriginal fellow who's going to take me um, because tomorrow some sort of bright moment of full moon where the crabs are fatter apparently mm. and easier to catch. And um, and we then build a fire on the beach and throw them in the fire and eat them in a very old school Indigenous and Australian way of eating the crabs and um, that's going to be my trip highlight I think. I think it sounds marvellous and, and very rustic. Mind the midges there on the beach, Dull. Um, have a very good time for the rest of the festival. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Anytime, Peter, and congratulations on your birthday. Oh, thanks, Dull. That's Wendy Hargraves. You will know her as a journalist and commentator here in Melbourne. She's one of the food and wine specialists. I don't know why she gets invited up there to be a food media, and I don't, but I'll take that up with Mr. Patrick. Um, it is a, a great festival to, to get along to, to taste Port Douglas, and probably one of our, our four or five premier food and wine festivals in the country, celebrating all things that are beautiful and Queensland. We're going to have a couple of messages, and then I'm going to finish with a track called Waves, being done by Nouvelle Vague, because we, we have gone coastal today. Next week... Uh, Peter Coravita will join me and we'll also talk gin next week. We are eventually going to get this interview up with Peter Coravita, I promise you. And also, uh, in two weeks' time, it's 
show number 400, uh, 80 years of cravings on your wireless every Saturday. We haven't taken a rest. Uh, so we're going to have a, a, some sort of celebration, I think. There might be a tipple of, of, um, of fizzy wine and, uh, and a little bit of cake. But that's me done. I'll see you at the Pride Game if you are going this evening. Don't forget Chicks Talking Footy uh, broadcasting live this afternoon, uh, this evening for the Pride, the inaugural Pride match for the AFL between St Kilda and Sydney Swans. So keep your wireless tuned to joy all afternoon and evening and support the Chicks Talking Footy Um also, uh, get along, if you can, to the game and support your team. Support your team. Be out loud and proud like we are right here on Joy 94.9. My name has been Pete Dillon. This is Cravings, and I'll return to you next week. Have a very good afternoon. Thank you for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.